Welcome to the SPS Digital Learning Hour, brought to you by the Digital Learning and Assessment Department. We're coming to you today from a conference room in Central Office, bringing you the latest news in Springfield Public Schools in regards to technology, along with inspiring interviews from teachers who are using technology in the classroom. I am your host, Mike Thomas, the Bearded Tech Ed Guy. You can find me out on all the socials at Bearded Tech Ed, my website, beardedtechedguy.com, and of course, the We Learn page on my SPS. So we're excited to bring you today's interview with Desiree Robinson, but first, let's get into a few little news nuggets. Make sure that you check out my SPS. There is a ton of announcements that have come up, advisories for end-of-year celebrations as we are getting closer and closer to the end of the year, open enrollments, transfer process, COVID stuff, all sorts of good information out there for you to know. If you do not get that information in your inbox, then go out to my SPS and subscribe. On the WeLearn page, the latest blogs are out there, and we jump into this great, wonderful tool called OneNote. Class Notebook, it's fantastic. Just think about that Trapper Keeper that you used to have back in the 90s. At least I had one, and it would go... That's how you knew it was time to get down to business in class. Well, this is the digital version of that, and it's one that I actually even use for my own personal stuff, not just for things that I am working on here in the district. So we have a whole series on how it can be used in the classroom and some case studies along with it. Make sure you check out the 22 tools for 2022. We are going to continue all the way to the end of December. So you still have the ability to earn badges not only throughout the summer, but also at the start of the year. Let's get on in there and earn you some badges. For this week's interview of the week, I met with Desiree Robinson, who is a homegrown Springfield teacher. Just about everything that Desiree has done has been here in the district, whether it was elementary, middle, high school. College was, you know, adjacent to Springfield. She's back here with us doing a lot of great things. You can hear her journey from paraeducator all the way up to ILS. Take a listen. My name is Desiree Robinson, and I have been teaching since 2010. That's actually the year I became a classroom educator. Before that, I was a paraprofessional in 2008, um, 2009 school year, and then 2009-2010. And when I became a classroom teacher, I was teaching fifth grade, <laughs> fun stuff. And then I taught third grade for a while. I've always had a love and passion for teaching math. I've always enjoyed learning math. And so I learned about the instructional leadership specialist role um, just in passing, you know, um, looking at postings. I had an ILS myself and things like that. So it was something that I aspired to. And I took on that role in 2016. And so uh, here I am. I'm at Glenwood School now. Uh, previously, I was at Indian Orchard. And I tell people all the time, I really do love my job. And it's rare to find something <laughs> that you really love. I love math. I love teaching math. So I get to teach teachers how to teach math. I get to teach kids math. I get to grow my professional knowledge 
with professional development and all of that. So that's, that's who I am. That's what I do. And I, I really do enjoy it. Awesome. So early on, you were a paraprofessional. Was that also in Springfield? Like, did you come out of college to become a teacher, but you got a para job first? How did that all kind of work? Yeah, I was a paraprofessional in Springfield and I was going to school. I was a non-traditional student, so I was working full time and going to school full time and I was getting burnt out. (laughs) And so uh, I started instead of I would go to school Tuesday, Thursday classes and then work all the other days. And I was going crazy with that. And so then I had heard about the para job and it made sense because I knew I wanted to be in the classroom. And so the first time I applied, it was actually for SEBS and I just wasn't ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who aren't familiar, right? Social, emotional, behavioral support. And so I turned it down and then the next summer I applied again and I got the same position. I don't even know how that happened, but I did. And I said, well, I guess it's meant to be. And so I did that at the middle school level at Kylie actually. And uh, it was an experience and I did love my team, but it was really hard. And then I knew I wanted to do elementary. That's what I was doing my undergrad in at Westfield Mm -hmm. State. Um, and so I was able to transfer through the transfer process to Sumner Avenue and get involved with uh, the youngers. And I worked in second grade for a while and then a little bit of fourth grade. And it was only a year because I was finishing up with my undergrad and I was able to uh, move on to become a, a classroom teacher. That's awesome. So in the time that you were a para, Um, We work with a lot of paras um, through our department. What would be some advice that you would give them when they are looking to go from being a paraprofessional into being a classroom lead teacher? I would say take advantage of the knowledge of your classroom teacher. Take advantage of the professional development that's provided by the district. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I think um, sometimes paraprofessionals, yes, you're the assistant. Yes, you're not the lead teacher, but you know we have so much knowledge. And I think sometimes we don't want to overstep. I always knew I wanted to be a teacher and it was a stopping point for me. You know, it was a transition that was going to happen. So I would, you know, ask to stay after for open house and have that experience. I would ask about IEPs because it's one thing to read about it and learn about it in school, but to actually have that on the spot learning, which is different than when you're doing your student teaching. Because when you do your student teaching, it's all about you, you're doing all of the work and all of those things. So it takes a little bit of the load off of you when you are the paraprofessional in the classroom. So that would definitely be my advice. And just learning about the different pathways to becoming an educator and beyond, right? I thought I'm going to be a teacher and that's what I want to do. And I'm happy with that. And then I learned about, oh, there's ILS. Oh, there's administration. Oh, there's district coaching. Oh, there's so many things that you can actually do if you just, just ask. Yeah, I loved it when I was teaching. Um, One of the years that I had, I had this para who I could say, all right, you are going to be responsible for working with these students. Here is the lesson plan. Here's the book, because I taught ELA early on in my teaching career. Mm 
And I would always like to have multiple groups, but I also knew I couldn't see multiple groups every day. And so when I had paras in my classroom, I made sure to include them in whatever I was doing, especially if they were like you wanting to become a classroom lead. So that's awesome. That's really great advice. When it comes to that time as a para over at Kylie, what kind of technology did you use with your SEB students? Because SEBs can really be a whole range of students. Yeah, I would say it was it was limited. And being uh, the para and not the classroom lead, I love that term. I didn't have as much say about what was going on. So, at, you know, at that time, we still had desktops, which seems so long ago, but <laughs> we did. We had desktops and we would do different activities and things on, on the computer, but it wasn't um, a focus. You know, we were still overhead projectors and what do you call those things? Uh, overhead projectors and just the screens. It was not nothing major, it, nothing major. Mm-hmm. And also we had, um, we only had three students. It felt like 40. <laughs> <laughs> we had three students. And so it yeah, it was really, really limited. Just yeah, the, these free time, you know, games, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah, with the early technology, even back then, it would be the overhead it was an overhead projector with the transparency with the markers that stain your hands yes. forever to clean off with the V the vis-a-vis and those things were like hotcakes when I was teaching. Like if you ever like found one just lying around and like at the teaching lounge, it always ended up with you when you left. <laughs> Going from middle school, you went down to elementary because that's where your interests were lying at the time. And I might get these schools mixed up, but you went to Sumner first. Now yep. at Sumner, were you thrown into a classroom by yourself or did you have a para with you or a mentor teacher who you worked closely with? Because you had already been in the district for a little while, like what was that transition like? Well, when I went to Sumner, I was still a para and I also went to another self-contained classroom. Mm -hmm. So I went from sub self-contained to the PLC. And so that's the primary learning center. I believe that's what it was called. They still exist just out of my world now. And they were kindergarten and first graders with autism. And the technology again in that situation was very limited. There were two paras in the room, myself, another woman, and then the classroom lead, um, who was also an ILS now, <laughs> which is <laughs> talk about full circle. Um, that's another story. So there was the three of us and we did a lot of, you know, visuals and Velcros and their schedules and things like that, but technology and, and the sense with the actual students, not as much. So was Sumner the school that you became the lead teacher at once you graduated from Westfield State? Once I graduated Westfield State, I was the lead teacher at Brookings. Oh, Brookings. Okay. Yeah. I was at Brookings Elementary. What's that big, long title? I don't think it has it anymore. (laughs) Uh, The Elias. Expeditionary Learning Magnet School, right? (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I was there and I will tell you, <laughs> I remember walking in that classroom, you know, it was an old building, beautiful now, right? Post tornado. Mm-hmm. And I had blackboards. So, I mean, I don't consider a whiteboard technology 
but I had <laughs> those things previously. And I got to Brooklyn that I had these blackboards and I was like, I can't, I cannot teach with the blackboard. I am not using chalk. Like, what are you guys doing? It was 2010, it was 2010. And I remember the day, I think it was like October where I got my whiteboard. I was so excited. I was like, I'm really excited about this whiteboard. This is crazy. We still had the projectors and and things like that, but that was my moment of of coming into <laughs> coming into the modern times as a classroom teacher. <laughs> so in thinking about that, because that's your first year as the classroom teacher. Yeah. And you walk in and you see the chalkboard. Like, did you have like a moment of like doubt? It'd be like, did I really want to do this? Or it, it was just strange because we were, you know, obviously mm-hmm. in undergrad learning about technology and ways to use it. It, it wasn't as um, big until I remember uh, graduate school when MCAS was going digital. But I just, you know, chalk and chalkboard I just was I was just really taken back really taken back by that and it wasn't a long time but it was long enough where I was like wow this is not we need we need a whiteboard <laughs> we have to figure that piece out and we yeah, still I had know. Laptops, you know yeah I, when I went into when I was at Mary Walsh the classroom I was in the whiteboard or the smart board actually at the time was mounted up in front of the chalkboard but on both sides of it it was still a chalkboard so i ended up going to like home depot and getting not contact paper but like whiteboard contact paper and kind of like doing it myself because i knew in my long narrow classroom i didn't have a whiteboard i just had the smart board and then this chalkboard so i feel you with walking in there and be like i'm not writing with chalk (laughs) so and I will say, so after that, um, that was the year of level four, the year of ANET, a year of lots of change, the year of a tornado, the, everything. Mm-hmm. And so I did leave that school. I did not want to leave, but they were changing the hours. And I just, you know, I was still got to go to grad school. And I'm like, oh, I really, I really love it there. But this, the schedule is just not going to work for me. And that was one of the changes that they made with the level four change. And so after that, I ended up going to um, Boland Elementary and I'll, I'll give you another story there. So at that time, I'm learning more about technology my, myself and how it can help me with teaching. We have an Apple lab, MacBook you know, laptop at home. And I was super excited about just like making a PowerPoint and sharing it with my students. And so I bring in my computer, you know, I have the projector and everything. I have a whiteboard, um, I have a screen and I'm trying to connect to the, the Wi-Fi, you know, to the intranet. And it just would not let me because it was an external laptop. And I don't think I even told anybody. I was just so mad. I'm like, I'm going to do this because my team, great team, you know, but they were more veteran teachers. They're a little slower with the technology. So they weren't like, you know, using much. And so I bring in my computer and I can't even get it to work. And that was really disappointing, (laughs) embarrassing, you know, all of those different things. And then while I was at Boland, um, I don't know if it was year two, three, I was there about six, seven years. I remember the talks 
you guys, we're getting laptops. We're getting laptops. The teachers are getting laptops. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, we'll see. And it actually happened. And now I'm like, wow, how did we survive without this? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say when I first started in the district, um, I it was uh, 2012. And so they were doing laptops at that time. I was very thankful for that because then I, like you, I wouldn't have to use my own personal laptop. I tried. I, was I could, so, I was I could so see how that'd be so frustrating, <laughs> especially like, all right, I've got this great interactive presentation. It's going to be shiny and maybe a little flashy. And the students are going to love it because they're so used to whiteboards and transparencies. And it comes out to be a big nothing. So with the jumping around to schools, with going to Boland, and then is that where you spent the rest of your time as a classroom teacher before you jumped to the ILS? I did. I did. I was there uh, until I transitioned. And if the principal had it her way, I probably would have stayed there as an ILS. But, you know, it, it is good to leave and, and lead in a different space um, and, and learn a new staff being in a new role. So. That's where I spent all of my time teaching after Brookings and then went over to um, Indian Orchard as an ILS. So at Boland, as you're going through your year, the rest of your classroom teaching years, what? how did you integrate technology in with the laptops now? Because at that point, if I remember correctly, we weren't one-to-one, but we were a laptop cart per grade level. And so probably at Boland, with it being a much larger school, maybe two laptop carts per grade level. And then I know um, Mr. Mansell has his lab and it's been there for a while, too. So how did how did you work technology in? Yeah. And shout out to Mr. Mansell. He's great. <laughs> and yes. um, he, you know, he would always show us different things, just different applications online for students to use as the math person. You know, I use it a lot. For, for math, different games and different online manipulatives for them to use. I remember we didn't have um, an online intervention yet like we have iReady. I wanna say we had, we had Lexia, but that was for reading. And so we used Prodigy. I remember one teacher introducing that and that was really great. The kids love that. They still love that now as an interaction. Mm-hmm. And it also helped me just become more organized, you know, just as the teacher, how do I organize my files? How do I save things? How can I communicate better with parents by saving these different documents or having all these documents in different languages and things like that? And although it's not, I guess it's it's not an online technology, but at Bowling, we did have a, a lot of different languages. And so using the Key Lingo app was really helpful at the time there as well. And so just that was more of how we used it. Um, I don't. I don't think I had. I didn't have a smart board yet at Bowling. I'm trying to remember. At my next school, the teachers did have smart boards. That's when like the smart boards and the the bright links were coming out. Mm-hmm. Those the bright links. And so that's pretty much how I used it. it. Was more just different activities for the kids. But versus when I was a para, they might have been going on playing Bejeweled as a game break because they earned a reward. But then when I became the classroom teacher, I learned different educational apps that they could use because we just didn't really have it yet for math. And then for ELA, we did have, I believe it was Lexia. We had Alex for a bit, but Alex wasn't as engaging for the kids. And some schools had, and some schools didn't. We had it at 
Brookings now that I'm talking it out, but we didn't have it at Bowen. So that was that was kind of the extent of it. It also helped um, at that time. I don't know if it helped or it hurt, but Brightspace came out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Brightspace, um, once I learned it, was fabulous. But when we first got it, everyone just saw it as this testing application, just this testing platform. And then exploring how much more you could do with Brightspace was really, really helpful. I think we both left the classroom around the same time. So like at Walsh, I had, um, uh, we piloted Envisions at the time. Uh, if you remember that math curriculum, yeah. I know we've moved on since, um, but they had an online computer aspect to it too, that I used a lot in my classroom, especially for like the quick checks and like the exit tickets, because it was very easy and it kept track for me. But I do remember, especially with Brightspace, um, and I said this in my interview for this position is when they asked me about, I can't remember what the question was exactly, but I said, I'm like, I would change how messaging the learning management system goes out because it's more than just a testing tool. And if teachers think of it as a testing tool, it's going to be a negative thing because there's already a lot of other testing that we're doing. And so I, while I was still at the school, cause I didn't know that I was leaving that I'm sure just like as you were an ILS, like you're going through the application process and you're not sure if you'll be picked up as an ILS, like you're still preparing for the school year. And so I had prepared a whole bunch of trainings for the staff at the school I was at and how to use the technology and use it well. And yeah, so like around the 2016-15 time, I think that's when we really started to get into using technology more than just for testing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I remember those Envisions um, online things. Yep. I forgot all about that. And even before that, we had investigations Mm -hmm. and you could use a little disc and um, do different things to play different activities as well. I don't think anything's been uh, as well streamlined as, as Ready Classroom is now, but definitely there was just so much on there. Even just typing. Like I remember in school, um, we had a Mavis Beacon. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and so, you know, just teaching the kids how to, how to type and how to work on the, the keyboard was so important as well. But definitely with the whole bright space, I mean, the union involved and craziness. And it was just like, what is this, you know, open in the clothes and the assigning. And then once I became an ILS and we had some really good trainings, all of my PLC documents. Um, I would create modules for teachers in there to go through. Um, and it was great and everything was there. So it was really kind of hard to change over to our new learning management system, but um, I definitely see the value in that one as well. Yeah. So around 2015-16, you go from working as a classroom teacher moving into the ILS. So what was that process like? Oh, uh, what was that process like? It was kind of scary. (laughs) I know, and when it comes to math, it's a lot more uh, limited pool than Mm -hmm. ELA. And even with educators, oh, I don't like math. Please don't say that. (laughs) You do like math. You love it. You love it. You just don't know it yet. You just don't know what you love about it yet. But it was, uh, I remember actually making (laughs) this huge 
PowerPoint and getting my data together and talking to my principal. I'm like, okay, so am I going to be able to present this, you know, 30 page PowerPoint at my interview? And she's like, I don't, I don't think so. Like, relax. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but I want to be prepared because I, I, I want to make sure I get this role. But it wasn't, it wasn't too, too bad. You know, you answer some questions, make your portfolios. And I really spoke a lot to my math background and the interview process was definitely involved. Um, I tell people I, there was at least 10 people at my first interview. So that was Oof. a little bit intimidating, but it went, it went well. I just tried to talk slow because, you know, when you get anxious and you just da, 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 and really speak to answering the questions that were asked. But I think the process in general, it feels like it was so long ago, but it was really just getting your data together um, and or showing, you know, your expertise, you know, really highlighting yourself. And I do like to be humble. You know, I do my things. I don't have to share with everybody, you know, like this is what I'm doing. Hey, if you want to try it, great. But speaking to yourself and just sharing all of your, your attributes in the field and, you know, you get a classroom visit. So they come and see some of your teaching then you interview again and maybe again with the principal. So definitely having some stamina with it because it's not an overnight process for sure. Wow, 10 people. I, I'm like, I'm thinking I'm like doctorates don't even go through like a 10 person panel. Yeah, right downtown, you know, now who knows if they'll continue doing Zoom interviews. I don't see why not. I don't know, but it was definitely downtown and you, you wait outside those double doors <laughs> to go in for your turn and all these people are at the table. And yeah, I mean, that was my experience. I don't know how everyone else's was, but. Yeah, it's one that I, I don't know if I'd want to go through. <laughs> Before we get into more of what you're doing as an ILS, um, it just came to me because of your math background. For your master's, did you partake in the Liberty program that was being offered around the district and then kind of around the region where they would Liberty would have send out a teacher every month for like a Friday, Saturday? Or did you go to like Westfield or UMass or somewhere local like that? No, I went to Winnick. Well, what's it? When you now when I went, it was Winnick. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I didn't even know about that Liberty program. It sounds pretty cool, but. I, I actually, and I used to be a little bit ashamed, but I'm not anymore. I went to Winnick for the master's in mathematics and it was so hard. <laughs> and at the time uh, I had a little one and a family, you know, mm-hmm. and it was, and obviously teaching, right? Cause you're still working and it was so much work. And I'm like, I, I know math. Like, I know math. What is going on? And there was so much, I feel like, um, unlearning that I had to do. And I also realized, so if I back it up a little bit, in fifth grade, I went to Rebecca Johnson's school. And there were about four of us, maybe five of us, who went to math in the library. Mm-hmm. And we were advanced students. And we got to do projects and do all these cool things. After that, I went to Chestnut Tag, a talented and gifted middle school because of my math. And we took advanced math. Everything else was pretty much the same, but maybe it's just my brain. I remember all of the math. (laughs) And we took pre-algebra and geometry and all those things um, ahead of our, our peers. And I got to high school. And things started to get a little bit hard for me. 
And I realized that I was very procedural. Like mm. everything was a structure and I, I didn't have that deep understanding and I was able to get by and then I had to really be pushed. And I had a teacher shout out to Mr. Brown at Central High School who's recently passed away. Um, and he was the one that was like really pushing us to the point where I got upset. <laughs> I said, I need to know how to do this. You need to tell me what to do. And then that's it. And so I still loved math, but I wasn't deep in it conceptually. And I realized that. And even, even going into this program at Winnick, I knew it was going to be hard, but I'm like, I'm going to study. I'm going to get it. Like I'm going to get it. And I wasn't getting it at the rate that I needed to. Time is not our friend ever. <laughs> and so instead of doing the math masters, I ended up doing the elementary education masters. I would have done the curriculum program, but it was all online. And I just wasn't there yet to do it all online. So mm -hmm. that was the long and short of that story. <laughs> but it was just, it was so um, eye-opening for me because, and I tell teachers that story sometimes because once you really learn like the foundations of math and that conceptual piece and just everything about that base 10 and what it means and how important it is, everything really falls into place. And I feel like I had it, but I didn't have it, have it. And, um, and so I love being able to explore that. And even at the elementary level, even at the foundational level, now mm -hmm. that we're doing all of this math recovery work in the district, how important kindergarten is and first grade is, you know, I always just thought two and three is five. That's it. Let's go move on. But there's so much more to that. Do you have numerical composite? Can you count on? Can you count down from? Can you count down to? And mm -hmm. all those different things. So I I loved Winnick. I had great um, professors there, even making that transition, you know, from the math program to the education program. I actually lived two minutes away. So that was great because <laughs> I was taking night classes and I could come home for dinner and go back to class. That is nice thinking about that. And so it just dawned on me as we were talking, maybe I didn't ask this question, but you're homegrown, like you're Springfield through the system of K to 12 and then Westfield, which is Springfield adjacent, and then back to Springfield for teaching and then graduate school in Springfield. So you are like a whole homegrown <laughs> Yeah, homegrown, um, package deal, never leaving. You know, I, my kids go to um, SPS schools as well. And, and that's, that's the way it's been. And I always thought I would move away or go somewhere else and do other things. And I don't know if everyone feels this way, but my hometown is so boring, you know, but I really found my, my place here and I've been able to grow career-wise, you know, professionally, even outside of work, just different networks I've connected with. And I'm really proud of that. And there was a time where I thought maybe I would go or maybe my kids would do something different, but I love that they're in the schools, not some of the schools I went to, but, um, but who knows for high school. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I love hearing about that because I was always one of those kids. I'm going to leave my hometown. And well, I did. So, <laughs> so I'm in Massachusetts and not Vermont. So, well, I mean, which is Vermont a pretty big today. change. So <laughs> <laughs> I, 
as an ILS, you go from being a classroom teacher. Now you're an ILS. Um, what are some things that you did before COVID with your teachers? Because that's who you primarily work with as an ILS. I think it's like 80% of your time is with teachers and like 20% yeah. with students, some, some ratio like that. Yep. So like, what were you doing with your teachers to help them increase their math knowledge? Increase their math knowledge. I have them do a lot of math. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to do math, you know, we're going to do math. And sometimes it it feels a little uncomfortable or or trivial. Like, of course, I know how to do this problem, Desiree. I I know you do. But I want you to think like a third grader or think like a kindergartner. And how can we identify those misconceptions? How can we build in the needed scaffolds, but not doing too much? Because that's that's what's been really tough in the field of mathematics. I feel is explicit instruction is everywhere. Explicit instruction for reading, explicit instruction for mm-hmm. um, for writing. But I feel like in the STEM, it's all about that discovery and exploring. And that can be really hard for teachers. And it was hard for me as a classroom teacher. I want them to just know it. I wanna give it to them. And it takes all of that learning away. And so just building that understanding for educators and why that's important. And there is a time and a place for explicit instruction, but I know even for me as an adult learner, when I figured out what, you know, numerical composite is, and that's knowing that a number is a combination of other numbers and the other numbers don't go away when you get to seven and how that was just a moment for me. And that's what education is. That's what learning is, is all those different light bulb moments for students. So if you don't allow those moments to happen, they aren't going to learn. They might get it like I did when I was in school, but I didn't have that deep understanding because I was just getting it. I was being told what to do and I was able to make sense to me. So that's a lot of the work we do is just that um, even that philosophical piece and making that shift. And then we do math together. We use different tools together. Um, People have been really energized with the math recovery work because a lot of ILS is up up to a few years ago, spent a lot of time in in the upper grades because that's where our strengths were. I was an upper grade teacher. A lot of us were upper grade teachers. And so now we're learning about that foundational piece and what it means to really know math and the three aspects of number and how important that is for our students. Yeah, I would also say like to go along with what you're talking about being in that upper grade, a lot of times schools prioritize what they call the testing grades, even though those testing grades, while they are important, it's more important to have that foundational understanding first. So in many ways, the non-testing grades, I always felt were more important than what I was doing in fifth grade, because if they were not coming with the foundation, I was going to struggle with however approach I took to teaching them and helping them as you were saying like creatively come to the understanding yeah and i think in regards to just technology or just teaching in general a lot of modeling is important and i always try to balance that like i know we're all adults we're all professionals but we're going to pretend that i'm the teacher and you're the student and even just modeling in the sense of 
we um, once we did have bright space and I knew how to work that and we would have our PLC meetings and we would go through a module and answer questions and explore websites all through bright space putting our newsletter in bright space and things like that and now we have Schoology and using that as our home base and putting our PLC agendas in there and showing teachers how to make quizzes and I mean it was a lot it was a lot of fast learning last year for sure mm -hmm. And so just modeling that with our staff so that they're doing it with teachers, I mean, with their students, and also finding those educators who are successful with technology and doing good things and having them share out what's working for them. And I think that's what was, that was just so exciting about, it was stressful and it was, had a lot of negative things, but once we did have the shutdown, and all students did get a computer. I mean, before that, I remember so many conversations with the, especially the lower grade teachers. Oh, they, they can't handle the laptop. They can't use the computer. They can't do this. They can't do mm -hmm. that. And I, said, I know you want to be in control because I know that's how we are as educators. We want things to run smoothly and be in control. But there's going to be a learning process and they can do these things. So once they got the computers, there was no taking them back, right? So mm -hmm. that was exciting for me. It's like, well, they have them now. So what are we going to do with them? How are we gonna keep this going so that our students can learn even more? And I've seen it firsthand. You know, I have a daughter in first grade and she learned to read on Zoom last year and she's a fabulous reader and she knows how to type to the point that she can text and she can send messages on mm -hmm. his messenger because once she writes, you know, ST, if she's trying to spell step, you know, we have the auto auto spell <laughs> and she can read it and she can press the button. And so it's been amazing to see how technology has enhanced our, our younger ones because that there was definitely hesitation there. Yeah. So that's actually was where I was going with this because in 2019, I believe that's when as a district, we moved away from Envisions and then whatever else other people were doing in their classrooms <laughs> to Ready Math, which was based upon the iReady. I think at one point, Ready Math was um, curriculum associates. And then like I just remember because, again, we at Walsh, we were always willing to test things. And so I had these green books that were a lot more word-based, which I think was the precursor to Ready Math. Was it the, the Ready Common Core, maybe? Yeah, I think that's what yeah. it was, which I feel like was a precursor to that. So in 2019, everybody is starting a new curriculum. And then five months into the year, we're shut down. So did you find that a lot of teachers, at least initially, tried to go back to what they were comfortable with teaching and how they were teaching? Or were they still willing to stick with, hey, I know that the world is going crazy right now, and we're going to continue learning this new curriculum? <laughs> like, what was that process like? Because that's um, one aspect I didn't really hear much about. So. so in regards to when we all went home in 2020, or how it's carried over into this school year? Uh, into 2020 first, before we get yeah. to the school year. So when it all when it all happened, right? One of the positives was that Ready Classroom comes with the PowerPoint slides for every lesson. So every lesson has you know a slide deck, 
So you already have something to speak to and share on your screen, you know, to do your lessons. So that was huge. Mm -hmm. The other thing that the math department and the, the reading department did as well, we all made videos. And so I did grade one, unit five, I think I did. <laughs> and, you know, we we all put ourselves out there and we taught lessons and we made our videos and we were able to share that with the district so that teachers could use them as needed. Mm-hmm. And I found that um, on the math side, it teachers were really frustrated because although you have the online materials, when you're trying to teach and you don't have counters and you don't have, you know, the rulers to measure, it's just not as impactful. And we did send home, you know, I think all schools did. We sent home what we could, counters and graph paper and all of those different things so that students could engage um, in in real life (laughs) at home and also on the computer. And I know I, when I was teaching, I did a lot of uh, uh, shared screen, but with the document camera so that kids mm-hmm. could see what I was doing with my hands and what I was, how I was manipulating fraction pieces or graph paper or um, base 10 blocks so that they could see that. So fortunately, the learning was able to continue, but it wasn't as impactful um, with nineteen twenty. And we could assign lessons too. That was another thing that at least we could assign them lessons online to do if we, if they weren't at the computer, because not all kids came Mm -hmm. or if our lessons weren't being effective. Yeah. I was going to say, I think with ready combined with iReady, like that's a really great way to try to hit students at every level, except for those who really needed the hand, hand, not handheld, um, the tactile tools, whether that's the counters or the base 10 blocks or what a pick your grade level and tool. Um, and you could only send home so much of that because you're also hoping that that's going to come back too. Yeah. Not, not much did. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine much did. When we first went remote, it sounds like as a school leadership. Um, What were some of the strategies that you all at your school decided to try to pursue at that time? The first, the first thing with the shutdown was just trying to communicate with families. Mm -hmm. You know, how are you? What do you need? (laughs) And figuring out even just a schedule. I mean, even in the beginning, it was like, oh, we can't, Mm -hmm. we can't contact. Well, we have to, I mean, we can still do that. And then it was, what do we prioritize for the remainder of this year? How can we keep the learning going? And so we really prioritize uh, student choice. So here's some things you can do. Here's some things we'd like you to do. I know a lot of schools um, were successful with updating their website, mm-hmm. which is another thing. Like we have these school websites, but nobody really updates them. And now it's like, well, this is a great tool. We should update our website. And so doing that, I was responsible for posting. It was first grade, actually, first grade lessons online and information around that. And that was just our priority, was just reaching families, making sure our kids were okay, and making sure they had some options and choices and making a schedule for them as well. Mm -hmm. We did have some 
live sessions. It all seems so long ago <laughs> as I'm <laughs> trying to think back. Um, I know even, for me, it was really important to connect with, with kids again. And uh, I would go down to the different meal sites just so I could see kids <laughs> and, <laughs> and be around them and see families and let them know everything was going to be okay, even though we didn't know what was going to happen yet. So just yeah. trying to organize and streamline communication. So with all that that you were doing in the 2019-2020 school year, um, and we were still, even during the summer of 2020, we were still iffy on coming back in person at that time. I think there was still thoughts that it could happen. How did your school prepare? Did, what did you take from the previous year of the March to July, June, not July, school ends in June, <laughs> yeah. um, the March to June time? What did you take from that that you could apply and improve upon for the next school year once we were all decided that we were going to be at least starting remote? Yeah, I would say a lot of times, I mean, as it should be, education is student-centered. And in this case, we had to be teacher-centered. Our teachers were going to be home. They were not going to be at school. Some teachers have great experience with technology and some teachers didn't. And even those that did may not have been implementing things because they weren't pushed to do so. Mm -hmm. So there was a switch of, we have to make sure our teachers are prepared. And so what does your space look like at home? Do you need a document camera? Do you know how to share your screen? Let's do this Zoom lesson. Do you know how to do that? Because nothing's gonna happen, you know, without the mm -hmm. teacher being prepared. And I can't go to your classroom and do it for you. Um, you know, kids are clicking on the button and now we have these Zoom classrooms. So that was definitely a switch in mindset and making sure they were prepared and thinking about um, what engaged students when we were remote. When your kids did come, what were they doing? Why were they coming? And figuring out what teachers were doing to get them to come. And how are we using our school applications or others to collect data, because that was another piece. We found ourselves using, I don't know how we found this one, um, whiteboard chat a lot mm -hmm. because we were still learning Schoology, but that was a great application to post things and get data quickly and save data quickly. I, I used that actually last summer <laughs> with a virtual <laughs> program that I was doing. So that was important because now you know, at the end of 2020, there were grades, but they were, they were fuzzy grades. Mm -hmm. Now we're going into the school year and we need to make sure that we're, we're getting good data. How do we use Ready Classroom to make sure that we're getting good data? What tools are there? What do students already have? So those were just prioritizing was, you know, in the beginning of the year, it's classroom setup. So it was classroom setup this time, but with a teacher focus of being prepared to teach in that way. And I, I, everyone was excited about, you know, their Bitmoji classrooms and things like that. But it was just trying to keep it simple. You know, I made one too. <laughs> but how do we keep it simple and, and get what we need? Yeah, I know when I did the Schoology trainings that we did and the point in the training that Bitmoji would come up, I constantly remembered myself saying, while this is nice, it's not necessary because I, I felt like it was 
like way too much work. And I'm the one who's like leading a training here on using Schoology. And then I, I remember getting emails early on from teachers who didn't want to go to their administration or to their ILSs asking like, do we really have to use the Bitmoji classroom? Because it's, it's hard. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, no. I'll help you set up just a simple table and you can use the table to communicate the same exact things. Yeah. So, yeah, it was definitely, and you know, you get excited. You want to find uh, something positive and it, they're engaging and colorful and, and great. Oh, it absolutely. Really just, you know, we gotta, we gotta get down to the nitty gritty and get this teaching done. So. Absolutely. It made me think back to when I taught fifth grade, like, and I was doing writing lessons, but I wanted students to present so that they would use PowerPoint. And I would remember in my head, I'm like, why am I letting them use PowerPoint? It's too confusing for them because they're so focused on the things that aren't the aspects of what I'm looking for. Like, they're like, oh, I can make my pages go. (laughs) And the zoom and the fly in. And I'm like, but where's your content? Yep, exactly. And that was tough too, like, especially in the older grades, I feel like we had started some of the work, but sharing documents so that teachers could give feedback. And we started some of that. And then it was all about, I'm trying to think back. Yeah. And then with math, you know, it's not exactly the same where they're writing an essay, Mm -hmm. but how they could show their work. And I remember working on the teen's notebook with that and how we could use that as well. That's kind of coming back to me now. Mm -hmm. And that was that was exciting to do that with the team's notebook and the kids being able to write on the page that you've created. And then we figured out a similar workaround with Schoology and PowerPoint and the PDF versus not PDF. And mm-hmm. it felt like so many things were a workaround sometimes. I said, I don't think it's supposed to be this difficult, but we'll keep trying and we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I from my aspect and the way all the work that we were doing it definitely was there's not a system that works perfectly everything has its own little quirks to it and pdfs were definitely one of those things where it's like all right how can we get students to write on pdfs and it was like oh there's this program that we can add in but then this and then that and yeah now now all those things are starting to become a lot easier because like with schoology they just they're pushing out an update where you can actually write on pdfs and write on top of word documents like a pdf which is one of the new (laughs) things which it's when we were going into schoology and having our monthly meetings with them we're like when is this coming when is this coming we don't want to the cami thing doesn't work all the time yes and then there was uh Nearpod and some schools got it and some schools didn't. And then there was um oh goodness, what was it? Ready Classroom mm-hmm. had these um, PDFs that you could write on and things, but then they were through Google Classroom. So we were like, okay, well, I don't we don't have that. So we're just gonna let that be. Right. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time today, but I do want to get to this school year where we yeah. started out. I'm actually trying to remember. We started out in person because at the end of last school year, we had started to come back at least hybrid, which was a whole confusing schedule, which I don't think we have time to do 
a whole <laughs> deep dive on how that works because oh, I'm concurrent teaching. I've, I've erased that out of my mind. Look, <laughs> we're not going to talk about it. Yeah. So we're, <laughs> we're skipping over that concurrent teaching part. So when everybody was back in school at the beginning of the school year, what are some things that happened during the remote time and the concurrent time that you, your school has been able to continue doing and that you even help encourage to continue to do? Well, at the most basic level, I would even just say using Zoom. So, you know, back in the day, not really, but we would use Skype every mm-hmm. so often for meetings. And so now that people are way more comfortable with Zoom, they know how to use Zoom, they know how to share links. It's really been helpful for parent communication and meetings. And so, I mean, it was standard anyways, but I know even with the mask mandate changing a bit Mm -hmm. and going into next school year, it's really helped with, you know, you can do these meetings anytime, anywhere and be more flexible with parents. So that's been really great. And even just using Zoom, um, I've used it to create videos sometimes mm-hmm. and using PowerPoint to create videos. So you can't be everywhere all the time, but if you create a video and put it in your Schoology, then you can have kids watch it for homework or you can have, you know, I made a video for open house so that I can't be in every Zoom at open house, but you can play my video. So just knowing that the power of, while it could be uncomfortable, um, making those videos has really been something that's been helpful. And I would also say those online manipulatives for math, teachers are definitely, we still look at those, let's look at this clock, let's look at this online graph paper, let's look at these online um, snap cubes and how we can keep using them. And how do they interact with our smart board and who we could do this and we could do that. So that's been something that's carried over. And also just you know, with schools getting that new computer science position, I mean, that has been wonderful because our tech person is fabulous. Shout out to Caitlin Whitney. And now that she's not in a classroom and she can be more flexible, um, she's been able to help teachers and students. A lot of times, yes, it's fixing a laptop, (laughs) but I know that it's going to continue to grow and what's possible and different apps that kids are learning and coding and things like that. So I would say Zoom, I would say online manipulatives have been great to continue and how we can use those with our smart boards. And then also just being intentional about, yes, we can still use Prodigy. Yes, we can still use Ready Classroom lessons. But now we know our students even better because they're here in person. And how can we do this lesson whole group or how can we assign it to these five kids? So that's been good too. It sounds like you've, your school's taken a lot of the blended learning approach to what's like to do doing school this year with having things available to them when they need it, whether that's like for homework, you're assigning to watch a video or instead of here's a math sheet that you're going to do for homework, which at this point what be eight years ago was very common of here's your handout. It's double-sided, do all the odd problems. <laughs> type approach. And now you can have more time in the classroom. I always think of it as like the I do, we do, you do having more we do time together because they did some of what you would have them do for the I do at home and then bringing that in with their questions. So yeah. And that's what's great about 
the I ready lessons versus the interactive practice. So I tell them, I said, the interactive practice is an online worksheet. So it's more engaging and it self-corrects. I always tell my teachers, we don't want students working on things that they're not proficient in yet completely independently because mm -hmm. we don't want them making the same mistake over and over again and thinking it's correct. We also don't want parents doing homework like they were before <laughs> or parents doing tests. So we have to give students things that they can be successful with. And an easy way to differentiate is by assigning things like that. Now, I can't say it happens all the time, but there's mm -hmm. suggestions that I make. And I think as we continue to move forward and get back to our new normal, teachers are going to blend everything because, you know, we're still mm -hmm. social distancing and we don't do centers like we used to. And so how can we use all these things now back in our normal world mm -hmm. to make learning the most successful it can be? Yeah. That is the big question. I actually, before we were meeting, I'm working on a series of blog posts talking about the ideas of blended learning and how to apply it now that we, we've gained all this knowledge. Because I feel like that's one of the things that's from my position, I don't want teachers to lose is they gained so much knowledge over the last two years in how to integrate technology into their classrooms, into their lessons that we go back to pre-COVID where everything is done in the classroom. I mean, we still can't because we can't do the centers like we would want to. I'm yeah. sure you've got teachers who are itching to get back to using the kidney bean tables to be working with students. And it's just not quite possible yet. Yeah. And getting back on the carpet and sharing materials and buddy reading, right? How can we buddy read and then make up Flipgrid or something, you know, how do we use those things and keep kids engaged and how do we use, I've been encouraging um, just on the the app, the voice text, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. what's it called? you know, text to speech, yeah. you know, helping our EL learners so that they can see what they're saying and helping them with reading. So things that we even use in the past, but just kind of forgot mm -hmm. about. Yeah. Dictate is a fantastic function yeah, that Microsoft it. Word has. <laughs> so. Yes. Is it called Dictino or is it just Dictino? It's a dictate in Microsoft Word. Um, I'm making that up. <laughs> no, no, you're not. Cause that's, that's a, the name of a different program, Okay. <laughs> but it is the name of one of them out there, but with Microsoft and how they've continued to like integrate everything into their tools that that's one that's nice. And they've even improved it where you could take an MP3 of a conversation and have word type up the transcript from it oh love that which is really neat and then of course they keep making improvements where i know you're a math teacher so this doesn't necessarily apply to what you're doing in the classroom but they've just started this thing called reading progress where a teacher can post into microsoft teams as a reading progress assignment where they can give them a PDF or a Word document and the student records themselves reading it. And then it will use artificial intelligence to score that reading. I like to think of it as like, imagine taking a Dibbles, but now students can do it anywhere at any time themselves. And then they can get that feedback immediately where it's like, you mispronounce this word here is the correct pronunciation. Here's how it's used in sentences and all of that. It's something that's come out in the last month and a half now, which is really awesome. So 
Yeah, that's that's so crazy. It, it's exciting and like a little scary. I remember doing a professional development when we started with Ready Classroom and going over the importance of checking the instructional reports. And mm-hmm. so if students have a domain shut off or they're struggling and they're not passing lessons, we have to make sure that we as humans <laughs> interject, you know, mm-hmm. and do some of this teaching, this real life teaching because we don't want to get replaced by robots. I literally said that. <laughs> and now you're telling me about this. I'm scared. I don't want to get replaced. Oh, no. no. I mean, <laughs> there's no replacing because as a teacher, you can still go back and listen. Yeah. But I'm sure that as you've worked with English teachers and have English teachers in your building, there's always that dichotomy of I want to do the FMPs myself so I can hear my students read myself and I can do the scoring myself. But if I do that myself, then somebody else is teaching the rest of my classroom because those FMPs have to be done during my classroom instruction time. And usually that's where like a retiree callback comes in. The ILS helps. Yeah. Interventionists will help and do them. But now with this, you can actually just assign it to the student and then you get to go back and listen to it. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, whenever we can find time, right? Time is not our friend in the classroom. Right. That's great. So speaking of time, to wrap up our excellent conversation today, I just have one more question, which will probably end up, depending on what you say, lead to a couple other questions. During COVID, we were reading the digital learning playbook as a, to help us get up to speed on teaching remotely and then also concurrently at the same time. That was part of the book too. But in that book, I believe it's chapter two after their chapter one introduction, where they're talking about the skills needed to do remote learning well. And that first skill is self-care and taking care of yourself. And as you've been a teacher, and I'm sure even as an ILS, there's days where your school day started at six in the morning or 7.30 or whatever before school started. And then you're there till way after the students leave. And then you go home, you eat, you breathe, you go to sleep and you do it all over again. So there's not a lot of time where as teachers, we would always take care of ourselves. I know I didn't. um, And I know a lot of other teachers struggle with that too, because of just the nature of our jobs. Um, So in the book, they talked about how taking care of yourself is going to be very important because you can't take care of others until you're taking care of yourself. And for our students, they need us to be, or definitely during that time, they needed us to be on 100% of the time, to be ready, able, willing to engage, to meet their needs. So to do that, they encouraged the, the reader of the book to take care of themselves somehow. So I don't know about you, but during COVID, I developed some self-care routines that I still employ now. So what are some things that you're doing to take care of yourself? Yeah, thanks. That's so important. You can't pour from an empty cup. Don't know who said that, but you can't. And it is really hard to separate yourself from a 30 to 330. And I as a classroom teacher, yes, it was nonstop, um, even to the point where with my oldest daughter, who's 12 now, <laughs> I felt guilty because I would still keep working, you know, even when she's sitting there being cute and little and, and fun, 
and her little toys and all those things or I would I was grateful to have very affordable daycare I would leave her at daycare late and just keep working and as I've grown in my profession and I tell teachers it, it does get better um, you can get more efficient once you stick with a certain grade or a certain content I've just learned to really set boundaries and one thing I did for self-care actually is I started to learn new things. So I've been exploring uh, this world of veganism, which has been really exciting for me. Not something I ever learned about, but really learning about our food and what we eat and how it makes you feel and trying those things, you know, experimenting with food. And I wouldn't say I've always loved cooking, but I've started cooking more. I mean, we kind of had to when everything was closed anyways. So you had to make your own food or ordering takeout just was not the same because it wasn't fresh. So just learning about food and where our food comes from and um, different plant-based diets has been really fun and exciting for me and, and a form of self-care because I'm learning and I'm making myself better. Um, I've always loved exercise, but I, I haven't been good about <laughs> going to the gym as much, but getting outside to just walk um, and be outside as much as we can, which I saw a lot of people doing, which was exciting. And I al also think something I've done this year is I've really set clear boundaries. So I will work all day, you know, and in the morning, and sometimes when I come home, but once my computer dies, I stop working. Mm. And there have been times where I'm writing an email or I'm doing something and my computer just dies. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, your time is up. It's time to go be with your kids. It's time to go okay. watch that Netflix show. It's time to go whatever it might be. And there have mm. been times where it's been really hard. And I've told people that I'm like, I do have a charger here. But I say, you know, don't bring your charger home. Like you have to give yourself that time. The kids will be there in the morning. The work's going to be there in the morning. But will you be fully there in the morning? And that's what's important. I like that. Will you be there fully in the morning? That's really great. That's a great thought to leave on. Like I said, because of what you said, I do have another question. Because one of the things for me, as I've been able to cook a whole lot more when I'm working from home. With exploring veganism, did you have you found any particular food style or food recipe that you're like, this is much better than anything I've had before? Oh, man. So I didn't make it myself, but someone brought me some seitan and it was with like some fried rice. I was like teriyaki. And I was like, oh, my gosh, so good. And I haven't, I actually went to Whole Foods yesterday and bought some. I bought like the strips and then I bought mm -hmm. some that was kind of in water. And so I'm going to try it out this week. I've learned about jackfruit and I've roasted and cooked, cooked it, cooked it, cooked it because you have to cook jackfruit, put it in barbecue sauce, threw some coleslaw on it. And oh my goodness, it's way better than a pulled pork sandwich. So that's exciting. And my husband likes it too. So that that's good. But I've just found there's so many things I've never tried. I mean, I live off chickpeas now, never ate those ever. I wouldn't even eat kidney beans in the past when my mom would cook them. And I make curry chickpeas, which I love and my husband loves. And my kids, they're they're coming around. My kids are coming around. They don't 
you know, I still will cook meat. I, I won't really buy it, but I'll cook it um, for them. And stuffed mushrooms. Oh my gosh. Love stuffed mushrooms. I've always loved them, but now I make them with the big portobello and I put mm-hmm. some sun-dried tomatoes in there and I use a um, Miyoki's brand cream cheese. I have to make you some. <laughs> it does sound really pretty good. good. So <laughs> I love stuffed mushrooms. That was one of the things I lived off of in college. And it's funny because I've I've learned about these things really from podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I, I would listen to podcasts, but I've really found some that um, are really, really great. And so when I do, we have, we got a COVID puppy, like many people. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> when we go out to walk him, yeah, I'll take my headphones and listen to podcasts even more now than I listen to music. Mm-hmm. So when I did get this email from you, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can be on the other side. <laughs> I'm always used to listening. Well, now you're going to be able to listen to yourself. So, (laughs) well, thank you again um, for taking time out in the middle of your day. Um, I'll be excited to try some stuffed mushrooms because they're awesome usually. And so, yes, sounds really good. We'll figure out a way to get those to you. (laughs) And one of my favorite like cooking shows that I watch actually, it's funny that you mentioned like the pulled pork jackfruit. Um, it was cause I, I, when I cook, I like to have like background noise on. And usually that background noise is, um, guys, grocery games from food network. Oh, yes. Oh yes. <laughs> and so on one of the episodes, they had like the celebrity chefs cooking and, um, one of them actually made, um, pulled pork jackfruit, um, with their own biscuits and stuff. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. I like pulled pork. So I wonder how that would be. So. Yeah, it's yummy. So, yeah. Well, thank you again. Um, Have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much. This was great. I will talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Desiree, for the time in this interview. If you guys know, this is probably one of the longest interviews we've had in a while, and I am so very thankful that we got the chat. As you can see, Desiree has had quite the experience here in Springfield, jumping all around from different grades to different schools to having different responsibilities. And so we're thankful for that. We're excited to see how she's been able to use technology throughout each of her roles here in the district. And we hope that you're able to glean a lot of great information from her. Feel free to reach out to her if you got any questions about making those jumps, whether it's para to teacher to teacher to ILS. So thank you again for spending some time with me here on the SBS Digital Learning Hour. We are excited that you are listening. One of the things that we do ask you to do is leave us a five-star review out on your favorite place to listen to podcasts. Make sure that you share us with everyone so that we can continue to move up the boards. That's how we can get all this great content out to other teachers across the country and really bring up all the great things that you are doing here inside of Springfield Public Schools. We love sharing what is going on in your classroom and your journey as an educator. Your stories are important and it helps us as we continue to look to excellence in our teaching, which we do have here in Springfield. So head over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you are listening to us. Make sure that you are, of course, subscribed. Hopefully you are. And that's where you you can leave us your rating. Spotify, I believe, just added one. 
And you can leave us reviews. Primarily, those are on iTunes. It would be very much appreciated. I am Mike Thomas, and this is the SBS Digital Learning Hour. The Digital Learning Hour is written, directed, produced, edited by Mike Thomas of OITA here in Springfield Public Schools. The music that you are hearing is Risen. You can check out our show notes to find all the information about this artist. This is a production of Springfield Public Schools OITA.